for the decision to be here and to be with you. It also happens to be that 30 years ago today, I made the decision, or actually Kathy agreed to the decision to be my wife and for us to be married. Uh, just want you to know that about this time, 30 years ago, I was at Dr. Richard Owsley's pond fishing, having one of the best days I've ever had. It happened to be uh, the day I was getting married, so I, I looked at that maybe as a good sign. And then after that, my dad married us, and though there were unexpected terms, many of them, that we could not have foreseen, the journey gets sweeter. You know, the same is true as it regards our Christian life. That when we obey the gospel that we cannot know. We, we know the joy that we feel on the occasion that we become a child of God. But we cannot know the good and the bad that is to happen in that long marathon that reaches toward the end. In which, prayerfully, when we get to the end, we'll hear our Lord say, Well done, good faithful servant. Did you know that Google ranks all of the different questions that can be uh, asked and that for in those questions that are asked give you an answer? And number 137 on the list of those questions is, how can I be happy? I find it interesting that how can I be happy is a question that needs to be asked and it is in between two questions. The one question is, how do I play poker? And the other question is, how do I get rid of fleas? Now, even though it's number 137 on the list, it is interesting that 120,000 people ask that question each and every day. And as they ask that question, there is what is called search engine optimization, and Google sends them to places that rank the highest. And did you know that in the top Four of the top ten places where they will send you to get the answer to that question is the New York Times, Forbes Magazine, WikiHow, and Oprah. People want to know, how can I be happy? And they're willing to look anywhere that they can get an answer to that question. Forbes magazine did a survey in which they found that happiness is something that most people want to attain. And though they want to attain it, it's very difficult to attain. And once they have it, it's very difficult to maintain. It was also revealed, if you'll do a Google search about how or what do you want most in life. That the number one thing on most people's list is they want simply to be happy. How is it that something that almost everybody wants more than anything else is so difficult for us to, to get? And maybe it is because we are looking in the wrong place. Or we don't know what it is that we're looking for. How often do you ask the question, how can I be happier? Maybe, how can I be happier? I find it ironic that the answer to that question that is maybe as effective as any is written by a man who writes it while he's sitting in prison. And he says to the, the folks that he's writing to that he wanted them to know that the, the circumstances that he faced had worked out for the greater progress of the gospel. And as the result of that, the individuals who heard about this were bold to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says that my circumstances have gotten to be known by the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, knowing of my imprisonment, are able to preach the word with courage without fear. He says, to be sure, there are some who preach the gospel out of envy and strife, but others preach it out of goodwill. 
The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. The former do it out of selfish ambition rather than out of true motives, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. He says, what then? Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers I will be delivered, and through the the strength of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in everything I will not be ashamed, but that as always Christ will be proclaimed in my body, whether in life or in death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through verse 21. The Apostle Paul strikes at the heart of what it is that we desire. He demonstrates to us that there is a way for us to know how to be happy in this life. And he shows us at least four ingredients for that. What I'd like for you to do this morning is look with me as we explore Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 21 to find the answer to the question that all of us ask from time to time. How can I be happy? Number one, I suggest to you what the Apostle Paul says is that if you want to be happy, you need to look at everything from a spiritual point of view. In verse 12 through 17, the Apostle Paul is uh, helping us to see what it is that, uh, that he figures that they would not think that he would know in this circumstance. Who would you think to be more unhappy than somebody who has been incarcerated? The circumstances for the Apostle Paul was this. He was in prison for preaching Jesus Christ. Verse 12. And not only that, being in prison for preaching Christ, there were some even who called themselves gospel preachers who were trying to add affliction to the the bonds that he already felt. Verse 17. He had done nothing wrong, and yet here he finds himself incarcerated. And not only that, there are some supposed brethren who are pouring salt in the wounds But what the, the Holy Spirit through Paul shows us is the perspective that the Apostle Paul maintains during this. As Paul goes through all of this, how does he look at things? He says, well, because of the circumstances that have happened to me, the gospel is getting great progress. That because of the things that I'm going through right now, the gospel is spreading to the entire world, to the whole Praetorian Guard, and to everybody else. That because of what has happened to me, I have brothers and sisters in Christ who are made more bold, who have more courage to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, because of the circumstances that have happened to me, there are people out there who are preaching. Now, some of them are preaching out of bad motivation, and some of them are preaching out of the right motivation, but all of them are preaching Christ, and as the result of this, Paul said, that's how I'm going to look at all of this. Here's a man who might have been unhappy But his happiness came in understanding that through the circumstances that were happening in his life, that God's will was being promoted. I had been to Wotutu, Cameroon, when I was preaching for the Bear Valley congregation. And we had an extension school there, and I had taught a young man by the name of Natua Vincent. He was a good student. And what they would do is they would have their students on Friday not have classes, but they would go out into neighboring villages some uh, several hours from the school, and there they would uh, share Christ, and a lot of folks were baptized through that. And right after I had met Natua, he had gone a few months later to do some evangelizing, and to do that he had to go to, uh, through several villages to get to the place where he was preaching. When he got to one specific village... 
there was a dragnet that the local government had tried to put down over all the young men who were not from that village because there had been acts of terror against that village and there had been houses that were burned down. And so it was, we'll ask questions later. Let's go ahead and get these men and put them in prison. Natua Vincent was one of those men, innocent. He just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And they put him in Bua's Central Prison. Now, what you need to know about Bua's Central Prison is that they don't have cable TV there. But they do have deadly riots and they have cholera outbreaks. He was there for over two months, even though he did nothing wrong. He was trying to go and preach the gospel. How would you feel if you were in the two events its place? You had done nothing wrong, but now you had to spend life in such a dank environment because somebody mistook you for somebody else. I wonder if I found myself in that situation, would I ask God why? Why is this happening to me? In fact, would it allow this to cause my faith to waver? Do you know what Natua Vincent did? In the course of a little over 60 days, he established the Bua Central Prison Church of Christ. And to this day that there is an attendance on a weekly basis of over a hundred people. In the two months that he was there, he was able to baptize dozens of men in that prison. And he continued to be the preacher for that congregation for several years, until just a couple of years ago. And my point is not that you have to go to prison for preaching Christ in order to be happy. The point is that it is through these circumstances that happen to us in life that we can get a spiritual perspective. It is through having a spiritual perspective that even the most difficult times of our life are going to be able to bring us joy. And I think about how that worked in the case of Joseph. Joseph had done nothing wrong. He was being moved by God to to share the visions that he had with his brothers and with his father. And as the result of this, he goes through several things that are not his fault. In fact, he's doing what's right. And he is hurt in the midst of that. And much later, God works through that and brings him to a place of of prominence in the country. And in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5 and 6, he finally reveals his identity to his brothers. And in doing so, he says, I don't want you to be hurt or angry with yourselves because it's God that brought me here to preserve life. And then a little later on, you'll find that uh, Jacob dies, their father, and so they're worried that they're going to now receive the full wrath of Joseph. And Joseph, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, says, What you did to me, you meant for evil. But God meant it for good, that he would save many people alive as it is to this day. What I'm trying to emphasize, what the Apostle Paul is emphasizing in Philippians 1, verse 12 through verse 17, is that happiness comes when we see things from a spiritual point of view. When we can come to understand that whatever happens to us, if we are a vessel in the hands of Christ, He's going to accomplish good through that. I don't believe it was the greatest day in the church's life. In Acts chapter 8, when Saul is wreaking havoc on the church and he is committing men and women to prison, he is arranging for the death of Christians, as he would say later on. And after Stephen has been put to death for preaching Christ, it says that they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They were made to scatter. But they did not go into caves and into catacombs. They didn't fold. They didn't cower. They went and they preached Jesus. That's a spiritual perspective. 
Kathy and I were first married. We went and did a devotional every Thursday in, in, in Sumter County Nursing Home, a little place in York, Alabama. And there were a cast of characters there, and we remember them to this day, and so often we'll quote them. And the one we like to quote maybe the most is a lady named Mrs. Edna Broadhead. And Edna Broadhead, I don't know, she's been dead for decades, I'm sure. But Sister Broadhead, every time you saw her, she was known for saying one thing. We have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Now here's what you need to know about Sister Mrs. Broadhead. She was emaciated. She was confined to a wheelchair. She suffered a severe impediment as the result of a stroke that she had been through. And she had aches and pains every day that she lived. But that was her life's motto. We need a Mrs. Broadhead's motto of life. That no matter what's going on in our lives, we have a lot to be thankful for. How could the Apostle Paul, as he is suffering in this prison, how could he say that all these great things are going on? It's because of the spiritual perspective that he had. How can I be happy? Look at everything from a spiritual point of view. The second thing that Paul would suggest is that if you want to be happy, what you've got to be able to do is to make the proclamation of Christ your highest aim. In verse 18, he's going to indicate that. Apostle Paul's not glossing over the fact that there are some people who are hurting him, that there are some people who have envy and strife. They are jealous of him, and they are trying to make things more difficult for him. And then the Apostle Paul would say that there are people who were doing the same thing he was doing, except they were doing it out of selfish ambition. And yet what Paul could say in the face of all of that is, hey, if Jesus is being proclaimed, even if they lose their own reward, how wonderful it is that Christ is being preached more and more. The Apostle Paul says, what then? Do you see that in verse 18? What Paul is saying in that particular passage is, hey, people may be beating up on me. People may be besmirching my name. They may be running me through the mud. But it doesn't matter because my highest aim is, is preaching Jesus no matter what. Are there difficult people in your lives? Have you ever run across somebody? Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a customer. Maybe it's somebody in your home. Maybe it's even somebody at church. Have you ever had somebody who made you their project? Or maybe they made you the object of their scorn? Maybe they even tried to embarrass you and humiliate you. And any time that they could do that, they would do that. You know what can happen when that happens in your life is you can begin to be so obsessed with them and be thinking about them so much that you lose sight of the bigger picture. They can be all that you're thinking about and you don't see beyond all of that. The Apostle Paul could have been one of those people, but he doesn't. He says, what then? He says only that whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And as a result of this, I rejoice. I'm rejoicing now, and I will rejoice in the future. That's the big picture mentality that God wants us to have. And the Apostle Paul is going to have that throughout. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, he says, Even if I am offered up on the altar of your sacrificial faith, I will rejoice and be glad. In chapter 3, verse 8 through verse 11, he can say, I have all of these accolades, all these accomplishments, and I count them all but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Jesus says, can you find your joy from making me first in all things? Matthew 6 and verse 33, to lay aside worry 
And focus on kingdom matters. Can you do that? Can you be like the Apostle Paul who says, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not in excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2. If we can do that, we can be happy. We can be happy that whatever's going on in our life and who may ever be causing trouble for us, if we can look past that, and we can say that there's no objective that's more important than sharing Jesus the people in my life. You will find happiness. The Apostle Paul gives us a third key to happiness in our text right here. And that is, if you are going to be happy, you need to have faith in God and have faith in others. In verse 9 and verse 10. Now, the Apostle Paul was going to have moments when he was feeling low and all alone. I think about a time that's going to come in his life when he's in prison, I believe, at a different time. And he writes Second Timothy chapter 4. And he says to Timothy, I want you to do your best to come to me very soon. He says, For Demas has forsaken me, having love in this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. He says, Crescens has gone to Galatia, and uh, Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful for me for service. And a few sentences later, the Apostle Paul is going to say, At my first defense, no one stood with me. All deserted me. Now you can see that this is probably the lowest point in Paul's life. But as Paul is struggling, even then, he knew that he wasn't alone. It wasn't pure self-pity. He understood that there were others who were with him. It was Timothy, it was Luke, and it was John Mark. But even as the Apostle Paul writes this letter, he understands that there are those that he can count on. If you look in chapter 2, he knows that he can count on Timothy. He knows he can count on Epaphroditus. In chapter 2, verse 17 through verse 30, he knows he can count on Clement. Chapter 4 and verse 3. But it wasn't just those three preachers. The Apostle Paul knew that he could count on the Philippians. Do you notice what he says? He says, I have confidence in you that I will be delivered Through your prayers. The Apostle Paul, no matter what he went through, knew that he could have confidence, not only in God, but in his brethren. And perhaps this is one of the greatest resources that we can find ourselves neglecting. God is not designed for us to live the Christian life alone. There is no way that we can make it without one another. You look at anybody in the New Testament and there is nobody revealed for us who was ever able to successfully make it without the influence of other people in their lives. As I think about the life that I'm trying to live to be faithful unto death, I realize just how much I need you. I need these assemblies. I need to come into your presence. I need to worship with you. I need to fellowship with you in order to make it. And you need that from me. Acts chapter 10, or rather Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25. I need your fellowship in my life Monday through Saturday. And you need that from me. Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. I need uh, you to encourage me. And you need that from me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. I need your prayers and you need mine. Here's the great apostle Paul who's accomplishing all of this for the cause of Christ. And he's able to humble himself and say, I need you. I need your prayers. I don't think I'm going to make it if I don't have you. 
See, the Apostle Paul is demonstrating that if we're going to find joy and we're going to find happiness in this life, there's the element that we always say in the assemblies that we need God, but we often don't emphasize enough just how much we need each other. We need God's people. We need God's, have faith in God's people. Jesus did. You look at the 12 men that Jesus picked. He picked salty fishermen. He picked shady tax collectors. He, he picked strident nationalists and selfish materialists. And though the last one let him down, the other 11 flourished and grew. And it wasn't just the apostles. Jesus had faith in other people. Didn't Jesus have faith in the Samaritan woman? He had faith in the woman who was caught in adultery. Where are your accusers? There were none. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. He had faith in Zacchaeus, the man who had been stealing from others, the Jew who had turned away from the faith in order to work for the Romans. He had faith in Bartimaeus, who was pitiful in every way that you could talk about it. He had faith in Nicodemus, the man who came to him by night, who was in a place of prominence and position, but who was not willing to be out in the open as a disciple. Jesus even had faith in people he knew were going to let him down. It's a remarkable conversation that Jesus has with Peter as he's about to go to the cross. And he's having that last supper with them. And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, he says to Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would be strong. He says, but when you have returned, he knew he was going to fall away from him. Strengthen your brothers. Have faith in God's people. Because our Lord did. Also have faith in people because it empowers them. When you think about the idea that God has given us a stewardship and an accountability, Paul demonstrates it in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. And basically it is, teach others to teach others. You see, when we entrust people and we let people know that we believe in them, it gives them great power in order to do and to have confidence to do what God wants us to do. Have faith in God's people because not only does it empower them, but also because people live up or down to our expectations that we have of them. If you tell people how much they have hurt you and how much that you can't trust them, they're going to live down to that. But I think about what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Have faith in God's people because they live up or down to our expectations of them. But also have faith in God's people because it brightens life. You know, it is my belief and premise that most people, if they know what is right, will do so if they're pointed out to them. That if we say that we know that you know what's right, that people will do it. But also have faith in God's people because it's biblical. The Apostle Paul demonstrates this. He had faith in Philemon, and he lays that out in that short letter. He has faith in Corinth, a church with all kind of problems. He has faith in Galatia, another church with all kind of problems. He has faith in these fledgling Christians at Thessalonica who've only been Christians for a few weeks. And he has faith in the church at Philippi. The Apostle Paul shows us if you want happiness, you're not going to have it unless you have faith in God's people. The church was his eternal design in which we find strength together. But he also had faith in God's ability to help. When you look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul says that he's learned to be content in any circumstance, whether he's hungry or he's full or whether he has plenty or he doesn't have enough. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
The Apostle Paul operated off of the same premise that the Hebrews writer does as he's quoting Moses as he speaks about the work that Joshua has to do. He reminds them as we need to be reminded that God will never forsake us. He will not desert us. I may let you down. You may let me down. But God will never let any of us down. And we can have joy. We can have happiness if we have that two-pronged approach where we also have faith in God's help as we also have faith in each other. How can we be happy? A fourth thing that the Apostle Paul would say to us is that we have got to determine to be faithful to Jesus no matter what happens. In this, in verse 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul would express something in a very interesting word. It's a compound word in the original language, and it is uh, translated for us, earnest expectation. And that word means literally to stretch the neck in order to spy on or to pay close attention to. But also involved in that word is the idea of ignoring everything else. And so what was it that the Apostle Paul ignored in order to stretch his head toward so that he could spy on and pay close attention to? He says it was a certain hope. And the hope was not the hope that we often think of. It was not the hope of heaven. The Apostle Paul uses this word to speak about the hope of heaven elsewhere. But the word here is his hope is that he would not be ashamed. That he would not fail in the testimony of Jesus Christ. In Acts 21 through 28. From the time that the Apostle Paul is in prison to the end of the book, he is trying everything he can to get in front of the most powerful person on earth. And so he's going through everything in order to stand in front of the Caesar. By the time we get to this letter, the book of Philippians, it seems like he's getting closer to his aim. He's maybe even infiltrated some of Caesar's household with the gospel. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. As Paul is thinking about the prospect that's in front of him, He is going to get to stand in front of the most powerful person in all the world and preach Jesus. Now, that's not a prospect that you and I realistically have. It's not our hope. It's not our threat that we're going to be imprisoned and have the the chance ultimately to speak to the most powerful person on earth. But we do find ourselves in front of and interacting with powerful people. People who can influence our lives financially and socially and spiritually. We can share the earnest expectation of the Apostle Paul. What is it going to take for us to ignore, to turn away from the world and stretch our necks towards seeing what Christ's will is for us and the mission of sharing Jesus Christ? It's a matter of life and death. As we look at what Paul says in this text, it causes us to ask two questions. The first question is, what is life to you? The Apostle Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I'll be ashamed, but in everything I may proclaim Jesus Christ in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Central to the heart of the question, how can I be happy, are these two questions. The first one, what is life to you? Well, we might answer that in a lot of different ways. We might say that life to me is power. Or perhaps we'll say life to me is wealth or possessions. We might even say that life to me is pleasure. But if anything other than Christ is the answer to this question, then we're not really going to be interested in answering the second question. 
Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says that it's appointed unto men once to die and after this is the judgment. Whenever we have an appointment, we make preparation for that. We do what we can. It doesn't make sense for us to not be ready for appointments. It's foolish. There was a certain king that lived a few hundred years ago. And every time his carriage went by a cemetery, he gave instructions that the curtain would be closed because he did not want to deal with the fact that life does not go on forever. For the Apostle Paul, life for him meant the ability to share Jesus Christ and to go on serving Him. Christ was the answer to the question, what is life to Paul? But the second question is, what is death to you? I read about the, one of the most famous atheists of modern times who stood at his brother's grave And he said that it seemed to him that life was but a veil between these two massive peaks where eternity was. And as they call out to understand what's beyond, he says, "We, we strain in vain to look beyond the heights. All that we hear in our cry beyond is the echo of our own wailing cry. He says that the lips of the unreplying dead give no word. That's life without Christ. But for the the Apostle Paul, he says, I want to depart. That word literally means to untie and to loose. The idea being is the Apostle Paul was looking forward to the fact that if he were to die and standing before the Caesar, and it is believed that ultimately he did lose his head in his testimony for Jesus Christ, it would mean that he would be another witness to the power of the gospel and he would get to be with Christ. But if he lives, that means that he would go on and have more opportunities to serve the Lord. It was a no-lose situation because at its worst, he could loose, he could untie the burdens, the weight of sin and the problems and the suffering that could be so often a part of this life. Life at its best, life at its worst. He could be unfettered through death. That's the challenge for us. In the good times and the bad, to realize that we need to be faithful to preach Jesus Christ no matter what. To not be afraid to do that. And if we do, it seems that what the Apostle Paul is saying is there's a guarantee of happiness in life. One of the men that I loved to hear preach when I was a young preacher was a man by the name of Hugo McCord, and he wrote a book entitled Happiness Guaranteed. There is happiness guaranteed. But it's by living the life that the Apostle Paul lays out for us in Philippians chapter 1. A survey was conducted a couple of years ago in which they asked about job satisfaction in the workplace. I used to think, at least of the studies that I've heard in the past, was that the number was more like 3 in 10 love their job and 7 in 10 don't. At least in this particular study, what they found was that 86% were dissatisfied with their job. I don't know how that would be if we had a survey in this auditorium. I would believe that the number of folks happy in in our particular group today would be much higher than that, but I don't know. But what was so interesting is that the number one reason why they did not enjoy their job was because of a matter of job satisfaction. They didn't just want to be on the company roster. They wanted to have a lasting legacy that lived on beyond them. They didn't just want to be toiling in the grind and feel like that when life was over, that what they did in their job did not matter. Whatever our occupation is on this earth, our full-time profession 
is living and sharing Jesus. The Apostle Paul says that, that through that we'll not be content to be on a church directory. We'll find our identity and our purpose and serving in the body of Christ. Happiness is guaranteed in Christ. But what will it take? It will take, number one, us having a view of putting us the spiritual perspective on everything that happens in our lives and to see it from that way. We've also got to make sure that we have faith in God and faith in His people. We have got to make the proclamation of Jesus Christ our highest aim. We've also got to find ourselves in a circumstance in which we're going to be faithful to Jesus Christ no matter what. You may be in a very high right now. You may be in the valley. But joy is possible no matter what. It may be this morning that you're seeking that joy that's found only in Christ. We'd like to help you as I appreciate the prayer that was prayed to help you to be baptized into Christ, to have your sins washed away. If we can help you do that in this moment of invitation as Jeremy leads us, it would be our privilege to do so. If you're a child of God who is struggling with the difficulties of this life, have faith in God's people and our prayers to help and encourage you and for God to forgive you. Maybe it is you're just overwhelmed and you need us to help you. We want to know if we can help. This is your invitation. Won't you come right now as we stand and sing?